Good morning, church, and welcome to Christ Central Church. If I haven't met you, I hope to get a chance to meet you sometime soon. But as Carson said, my name is Timothy, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Really glad to be with you this morning and excited to open up God's Word together. Before we do that, I do want to have one more announcement that I do want to put before you. Uh, this was mentioned a few weeks ago, but our beloved Emilio Hood passed his ordina- ordination exams a few weeks ago. Yep. And so in light of that, next Sunday afternoon, we will have his ordination service. Uh, so in that service, he will be installed as a teaching elder and a pastor in, in this church, in our denomination. Uh, and in case you haven't picked up on that yet, that's a really big deal. Uh, and so we would love to invite you, the church, to be a part of that. So you're welcome to join us. That service will take place on Sunday, this next upcoming Sunday at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary. So uh, if you're available, we'd love for you to come and support him and, and, and be a part of that service. I now want to transition us into our, our time in God's Word. This morning we are continuing in our sermon series entitled, Last Words. It's a series that we've been in for this season of Lent, looking at the seven last words that Jesus spoke before he breathed his last breath. These seven short phrases, when woven together, they really beautifully encompass the full breadth of Christ's redemptive work while here on earth. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're able, uh, to stand, as is our custom, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 32 and 33 and then skip down to verse 39. This is God's word. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And we ask that you would now speak to us through your word, that we would encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to begin by stating that we are truly blessed to be living in this country. It's a real gift to live in America in 2024. And I don't want to sound ungrateful, but there are some consequences that come with all this blessing. You see, because you can't live in such affluence and not be affected by it. One of the effects that living in this country has had on me is that I have become pretty obsessed with comfort. 
I spend a lot of time and energy and money chasing comfort. And I share that with you because as I was studying this text this week, I realized that my obsession with comfort has hindered me from really understanding what this text is about. Look with me again at verse 43. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And my theory here, and maybe it's just me, but I I think most of us in this room, when we read this passage, we key off on this one word. And the word that catches our collective minds is paradise. The thing that Jesus is offering here that we're most excited about is, is comfort city. This idea of getting to be in this place called paradise. I mean, some of us are probably even imagining it right now. Giant house, brand new car, all the best food and wine, no responsibilities, kids parent themselves. It's, it just sounds lovely. Some are thinking lush tropical, some are kind of thinking remote mountain, but we're all kind of thirsty for this place. I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with longing for paradise, but when we key off on this word paradise, I think we actually miss the real beauty of this text. Look again at verse 43. The, The words right before paradise are the ones I think we should be paying attention to. Jesus says, today you will be with me. Today you get to be with me. Sixteen years ago, I proposed to my now wife, Stacy. I asked her if she'd be willing to spend the rest of her life with me, and by grace, God's grace, she had a momentary lapse of judgment, and she said yes. Um, Now imagine if at the end of my proposal, I kind of offhandedly mentioned to Stacy that I had been recently given this beautiful home in Fiji, right on the water, beautiful sunset every night, and that I was hoping that we would spend the rest of our lives together there in that place. Now imagine how hurtful and offensive it would be if she got all giddy about the house and said nothing about the with me part of the proposal. You see, the magnificence of verse 43, it's not the place. The glory of this text is that Jesus is inviting this man to be with him. He's inviting him into intimate fellowship with him for all eternity. How awesome is that? The essence of these last words is that a a primary piece of Jesus' mission on earth was to draw people to himself. And so the question that I want us to examine this morning is, who is Jesus drawing? What kind of people is Jesus after? And what our text reveals is that there's really three types of people that Jesus is drawing to himself. And these three people, these three types of people will be our three points this morning. Jesus is after, first, unconventional people. He's after, secondly, unconditional people. And third, he's after unprideful people. So let's dive in. Jesus is after unconventional people. And when I think about Jesus picking people to join him, I can't help but go back to the playground at recess, in particular that moment when teams are being picked for the, the pickup sports game. And in my childhood, I was undersized and unathletic. And so I was one of those kids that was just hoping that I wouldn't receive the ultimate playground insult and be chosen last. 
Because picking teams on the playground, it's kind of cutthroat. You either are chosen because of your credentials as an athlete or because of your cool credentials that kind of overshadow your lack of athleticism. But when you're lacking in both, you're in trouble. And I'm not, I'm not picking on the kids who are picking the teams. It's normal to want to populate your team with people who are going to benefit you in some way, which brings us to our text and begs the question, what in the world is Jesus doing here? I mean, in many ways, this is Jesus' first pick. Think about this. This person is the first one to make it home to be with Jesus, this next-door neighbor of his on the cross. Well, who is this man? Well, he's mentioned in all four Gospels, and he's described as some sort of criminal. Matthew and Mark go use the strongest word, some word uh, comparable to the English word bandit. And what's clear is this guy, he's not a common criminal. Whatever he has done, the court has deemed him worthy of the worst possible punishment that they have to offer. So think about what uh, warrants the death penalty in this country and imagine that this guy has done something similar. And yet for some strange reason, Jesus decides this guy, he's going to be my first pick. This criminal is going to be the one to join me first on this day in paradise. But why? I want you to think about what if Jesus had done it differently? What if Jesus had picked a a high-ranking official, a, a government leader, or maybe one of the religious elite, and said, today I want you to be with me in paradise? Well, that would have revealed that Jesus is, is after the most qualified, those who bring the most to the table. And yet by choosing this man, the message that flows out of this unconventional choice is loud and clear. And some of us need to hear this right now. What Jesus is saying is that you cannot fall so far that you are beyond the reach of my love. You cannot fall so far that you become beyond the reach of my love. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that there's no sin in your life, no mistake from your past that could ever disqualify you from God's love? Some of you are right now, you're thinking about a specific event in your past, and you're wondering, can God really forgive that? And what Jesus' words to this man reveal is that he can and he has forgiven that too. Jesus isn't after the, the best and the brightest. He isn't after those who've gotten it right and performed well and thank God, right, because you and I, we didn't stand a chance if he was Now, on the other side of that same coin, we need to ask maybe an even harder question. And that is, who do we think, because of their sin, will not be with Jesus in paradise? Who are the people that you believe are beyond the pale? Whose sin is too great for them to be offered this invitation to be with us and Jesus in eternity? Maybe for you it's the person who has hurt you so bad or hurt someone that you love. Maybe for you there are, there are certain sins that, that are just too reprehensible, that, that are simply not forgivable in your mind. And so deep down you're believing that, that those people who've committed those sins, they're out. 
The truth is, church, this text demands that we take that list of people who are disqualified and throw it in the garbage and embrace the fact there's nothing that anyone can do to disqualify them from the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. This brings us to our second point. Not only are the kind of people that Jesus is after unconventional, they're also unconditional. I want to go back to that illustration I mentioned earlier of the me proposing to my wife and then offering her this life in paradise, in, in, in Fiji. And what's, what it is about that illustration that's so offensive is that her, her excitement around that house would, would inevitably cause me to bring into question whether or not she's really excited about being with me. And you see, throughout the scriptures, we often see people who have this kind of initial response to Jesus that's really positive. They're excited. Oftentimes, they're people who just receive something really special from Jesus, like food or, or healing. And what's interesting is that Jesus is normally pretty skeptical of these people. You see, because it's hard to know whether these people really want to follow Jesus or they just really like the benefits of being near someone who has the ability to do cool things for them. See, look again at our text this time in, in verse 39. What's interesting about this story is that there's not one but two criminals who are being crucified next to Jesus. And the invitation to be with, it's only extended to one of them. For some reason, the other guy, he's not the type of person that Jesus is after. So what's wrong with him? We've already looked at the fact that Jesus is not turned off by whatever crime he committed to receive this punishment. But what is it then that keeps this man from being offered this invitation? What's wrong with him is that what we've seen is that I want you to listen closely to the words that he says to Jesus. This is my paraphrase. He says, are, are you not the Christ? If so, then get off this cross, and while you're at it, why don't you take me with you? So what's he, what's he doing? What's underneath these words? Well, he's giving Jesus a test. He's saying, Jesus, I'll follow you just as long as you do this one thing for me first. And there's no question he has a legitimate felt need. He needs to get off the cross. And yet what his words reveal is that unlike the other criminal... He's not able to see beyond that felt need to the bigger picture. So compare the words of the two men. Notice that nowhere does the second man mention getting off the cross. All that he asks of Jesus is to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. You see, what he's saying is, Jesus, whether or not you get me out of this mess, I'm sticking by you. As one commentator says, I think this is helpful. He says, the first thief gives Jesus the ultimatum. I will be with you if you get me out of trouble. While the other thief says, I'll stick with the trouble if I can be with you. Church, it's easy to get stuck in a sort of if-then relationship with God. God, I'll follow you if you just give me this one thing that I want so bad. So the question for us is, what's on the other side of that word if in your relationship with God? Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you if you'll make me successful, if you'll bring my boyfriend or girlfriend back, if, if you solve my financial troubles. Jesus, I'll follow you if, if you can make my kids start listening to me or if you can help me get this promotion or help me pass this class. 
Jesus, I'll follow you if you make my depression go away or if you save my family member who's really sick. See, those are conditions. And Jesus is after people who come to him unconditionally. Because whatever, whatever is on the other side of that if, that's your real God. That's the thing that you really worship. And, and you, what you've done is you just made Jesus a means to an end. But see, Jesus doesn't invite the, the first man to be with him because Jesus is after people who don't see him as a means to an end, but as the end itself. The criminal, he just wants Jesus to save his skin, but he's not interested in Jesus saving his soul. Our Savior, his desire, is not, his desire is not to get you out of the sticky situation you're in, but rather to get you into an intimate relationship with him. Church, what would it look like for you to set aside whatever is on the other side of that if and come to Jesus just to be with him? Which brings us to our third and final point. Not only is Jesus after people who are unconventional and unconditional, he's also after people who are unprideful, humble people. The last thing that we see here is that a longing to be with God is not enough in and of itself. Jesus is looking for people who are willing to admit that which is the hardest thing in the world to admit. Look again at verse 40. The one criminal says to the other, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Meaning the court has declared that the three of us are the same, all worthy of crucifixion. And then he goes on to say, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. See, what the one man admitted that the other man was unwilling to admit was that his punishment was in fact just, that he was getting what he deserved. To use the words of the text, he was able to admit that he did not deserve to be remembered by Jesus. Now, that's really hard to admit. I think it's extremely hard for us who are religious to admit that we're not worthy to be remembered because many of us, we think we've given God a lot. You know, we've sacrificed our time, our money. We've abstained from so much physical and, and sexual pleasure. We've forgone so much comfort that could have been ours all for you, God. Clearly, we are the ones who deserve to be remembered by Jesus, right? It's not what the text says. The text reveals is that Jesus is looking for people who see that their performance doesn't even come close to what is required. That our minuscule obedience falls short of the mark. I love how this uh, famous Welsh minister, Martin Lloyd-Jones, would, he would often ask people, are you a Christian? And if they answered, well, you know, well, I'm trying, I'm working on it, then Lloyd-Jones, he would know that they aren't, in fact, Christian, that they really don't understand the gospel. See, because Jesus is after people that realize that they have tried and failed, that no more trying will fix that. People who have admit, admitted defeat and instead of demanding a favor are crying out for mercy. The, the question for you and me is, is, do we have that humility to approach Jesus as ones who are undeserving, nothing to offer and everything to gain? Are we truly understanding that we are the beggar who will take whatever morsel of grace Jesus is willing to give 
Church, the good news of our, our text is that Jesus is drawing people like that to himself. Unconventional, unconditional, unprideful people. And he's inviting them to be with him in paradise. So the question is, are we one of those people? I want to conclude by answering this one final glaring question from the text. And that is, how did this criminal know to trust Jesus? I mean, Jesus is not presenting very well right now. He, he's nailed to a cross. He doesn't look like he could rescue himself or anyone else. And so why did this man turn to him as the one to save him? I think the answer is found in, in this one word that the man uses. He uses the word remember. And in the Bible, that word is a really big deal. See, throughout the Old Testament, we see this kind of strange back and forth between God and his people. And time and time again, the people of God are asking God to remember them, which is weird, right? Why does God need to be reminded to remember? We think the God of the universe could handle that on his own. But you see, when the Bible speaks about remembering, it's not about God bringing up something to mind that he has forgotten, but it's actually always about God remembering his promises, and what has God promised? He's promised to crush the head of the serpent, to defeat Satan, to conquer sin and death, and to put all that is broken to right in this world. And church, the cross, it is the culmination of that remembering, the place where God seals and guarantees the promise of redemption. I think that this man, he knew his Bible and he knew the prophet Isaiah's words that the Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors and that by his wounds we would be healed. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus, he has accomplished that for which he came. And because of his bloodshed, he is able to definitively say to you and to me and to all who call upon his name, today you will be with me in paradise. Church, may we receive and rest in that glorious good news on this day and every day forward. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you accomplished that which you had set out to do. You made these promises true and sure. By your blood, we have been welcomed into fellowship and intimacy with you. Father, may each and every one of us here rest and receive that good news. And may it give us a heart filled with gratitude and full of love for you, that you call us sons and daughters. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.